Welcome to Long Distance Listening, a music podcast. Hello and welcome to Long Distance Listening. I'm Andrew. And I'm Nate. (laughs) Way to start off the episode so well. So Nate Nate cut his tongue and uh, and he's feeling it right now. So uh, so just hats off to Nate for pushing through a very painful thing for the podcast. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> oh my god! I, I don't know. How I'm supposed to do a podcast today. Um, if you're a first time listener, uh, you're probably really turned off right now. But or turned on. Oh my gosh! I, I promise we usually try to keep our jokes to a minimum, but oh my gosh, that's amazing. Um, so yeah, I'm Andrew. I'm that's Nate. Nate. Yeah, what's up? We we have this podcast called Long Distance Listening, where we talk about underrated artists uh, that you should be listening to, usually in the indie spectrum. Um, and today we are talking about Manchester Orchestra's newest album, The Million Masks of God. Now. If you're in the indie music scene, you might actually go, is Manchester Orchestra really underrated? Because they're huge. But still, we like to talk about bands that we think should be bigger. So no matter how big the band is, if we're like, they just, they don't have that commercial success, um, like radio play, whatever you judge success, um, we still believe that they're underrated. We also just love this album or... Or I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We love Manchester, and so we want to talk about their music. We want to talk about their album, and so why not? Why not talk about Manchester? Um, so we're basically going to jump in to this album, but we're going to quick right before we jump into the album. I think it's just good to have a quick background um, for each of us on Manchester, uh, what we've known of their music in the past, and what our expectations for this album were. So because I didn't warn Nate about doing this, I'll go first. We'll just keep it real brief. But um, but I really started listening to Manchester. Not not actually, I guess by now it's probably a while ago, mm. but I listened more when Cope came out, which I'm actually right now trying to figure out what year that was. I think it was 2015. You're so close. It was, it was 2014. 2014. So yep. I originally, so, okay. I had it missed, um titled not mistitled but um the year was off in my itunes library for a long time so i always in my albums had it in my top 10 albums of 2015 and i forgot i knew i got it wrong but i didn't know whether i was wrong it was 2014 or wrong whether it was 2015 so it was 2014 mine showing 2014 but i mean we could both be wrong it could be 2013 i don't know it could be another time but we're gonna say it's 2014 um which would mean i've been listening to manchester for seven years now uh it was 2015 up okay april fools it was 2014 april 1st (laughs) nice (laughs) nice um but yeah what what i will say quick about that i have like some knowledge of Manchester before then 
but I don't feel very confident in speaking about Manchester, like early Manchester, because they've had albums before, um, before Cope, obviously. But that's kind of where my interest started. And again, I went back, but I I just don't know those early albums like I do. Uh, Cope and especially Black Mile to the Surface. I love that album. That is honestly, I forget where it's in my top 10 of the decade, but it's like up there. Um, I can't remember my decade list that we did last year. Um but yeah, it definitely was on there. I'm still questioning because I can't remember the albums. But it is, for me, one of my favorite albums. I love that album. So my expectations for this new album were, let's say, high. Like, really high. Uh, because it was coming after my favorite Manchester album. When they announced this album, basically when it came out, I showed my wife uh, some of Manchester's stuff, and I talked about this, like, Manchester, and she had always kind of assumed they were in the metal kind of adjacent genre because they do talk about metal bands sometimes with her, so it's fair enough. But um, but she got really into Manchester before this album, too, so I think both of us um, were really excited for The Million Masks of God, and obviously in a minute uh, when we jump into the album... I'll talk about my actual thoughts for that album. But yeah, I was super excited uh, with this album uh, announcement and everything. I think Nate was probably similar. But Nate, what's your background with Manchester and what were your expectations like coming into the Million Masks of God? Yeah, so back in the day, I used to look for new music on iTunes a lot. And I remember, I don't remember if there was a free single or a free music video or just simply back when they have free singles on iTunes, back when you paid for music. Um, there, I remember seeing Simple Math when it came out, but I didn't listen to it. And um, a lot of um, my friends who listen to similar music, Andrew, that you and I listened to growing up um, were big Manchester fans, especially... Um, of my friends, Simple Math was the big record at that time. And so um, I was really late to the train. And Cope was as well the first record of Manchester's I Grew Alike, which is so interesting because Cope, for their discography, I feel like is the biggest anomaly and biggest outlier. Pre-Cope... Um, and then post-Cope, both have their own feels. And I, I do feel like A Black Mile and even Million Masks are almost closer to their early days than Cope is, even though they come after. Though, obviously, both those records are still very different. Um, but yeah, so I listened to Cope. I remember our first listen to it, Mowing the Lawn, and just like really loud blasting. And... I couldn't really get the melodies. Like, I found, like, it was really aggressive. It was really harsh. Like, the way they recorded that record was so unique um, and kind of uh, prof unprofessionally professional, if that makes any sense. And so it was actually, it wasn't until I listened to Hope, which is, for those who don't know, basically an acoustic version of Cope, 
It wasn't until I listened to Hope that the melodies, I started to pick them out and notice their beauty and notice their impact. So when I revisited Cope, I was really able to hear them a lot better and I fell in love with the record. Black Mile is my favorite Manchester record. I know that might be giving stuff away even now after Million Mass. But I think for you, because Black Mile was such a big record for both of us, we were both, as you said, highly looking forward to this record four years after uh, Black Mile. And also 2020, though there was a lot of good records that came out and we enjoyed a lot of music, there still wasn't as much music coming out. There was still a lot of bands that were putting their records on hold. And Manchester, The Middle Mass of God is one of those records that they kind of sat on it for a while. Um, and they got to kind of near the end of COVID and everything, even though it's still not ending yet. But they got near the end and they're like, all right, we can, re- we can release it now. We s-. And so they did. I think it was great timing. And yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. All right. Well, without further ado, let's move into track one on the Million Masks of God. If you haven't listened to this album yet, we would suggest that you listen to it before, as we're going to go pretty in-depth for each track. But uh, if you haven't listened to it, here is a quick clip of track one, Inaudible. a quick clip i was thinking like how disappointed would people be who didn't know the record at all or didn't know manchester if we just like put a voice recording of me belting the lyrics at the top of my lung <laughs> over some like trap beat or something uh hey i, wanna, I actually think that could bring our podcast to the next level. yeah i kind of want i think that's what we need i kind of want to f- follow through on that and yeah maybe stay tuned to the end of uh, the podcast <laughs> and we'll see we'll see if we can't slip something in somewhere uh somewhere during the podcast oh man if you're able to pull that off that'd be incredible all right i'd love to so the first four lines of uh the record start out you're inaudible thrown away like inaudible wheel you down to the old folks home are you listening to me and it kind of introduces, um, I would say, some of the big themes of the record in terms of death and growing old and um, processing the afterlife. And um, from what I've read, Andy and Rob kind of started the record out being more of a fictional story that when Rob's dad ended up getting cancer and eventually passed away, which really sucks, it kind of morphed into also having, yeah, it did have some of the fictional stuff, but it also had some more real and personal aspects of grief and um, themes of dying and death. And again, yeah, the afterlife and stuff, which I think that 
Afterlife was also touched on with A Black Mile, but the thing about A Black Mile was that was kind of, that record was inspired by the birth of Andy's children. And so that record was inspired by birth, and in a certain sense, this record's inspired by death. And I know I'm like overly generalizing this, but I do think um, having that framework is helpful as we enter into each of those records. Um, the only thing I really want to talk about with this song is it's a slow build. Um, it kind of hits hard later in the track. Um, I kind of just like the football reference thrown away like an audible yeah, just because I've been playing a, cool a lot, reference. playing a lot of Madden. <laughs> Andrew and I are big football fans. Um and Nate won't stop autobling. Because <laughs> I never have a good play. But like, uh, in, the, in an interview I read, Andy talked about inaudible and inaudible being a play on words. I thought that was really interesting as well. Yeah. But um, yeah, just this idea of things not going the way you thought they would and kind yeah. of needing to um, quit or talk like throwing away an audible is kind of like ah this isn't going to work so we'll just yeah. call the play dead i think yep. that imagery is just really interesting as we yeah. start the record yeah i agree i i actually found like obviously as a big football fan the whole idea of an audible i've like known but i never actually thought about it pertaining to normal life where yeah. it's like you have this plan you think you know where you're headed and then you go this isn't going to work and you just have to change course completely. Yeah. I actually took more like life. I don't know. It like it made sense to me that comparison to to life in general. Yeah, definitely. Um, which I've never heard that in that way. So Andy does such a good job of like I feel like using symbolism, but like he's not he's not overly like he's not spoon feeding you lyrics, but he's also not making the, like the most crazy like oh i'm a i'm a theologian here's my crazy words and and ideas like it feels like it should be accessible that being said there's a couple songs in this album i have no clue what he's talking about um but i do love that he's able to use a term like audible and apply it to life i think it's a really cool thing yeah i feel like building off what you just said it's He's very, for me, a lot of his lyrics, very mysterious, very confusing. I have no idea what he's talking about. Or at least I can make a lot of guesses, but like I just don't know where he's he exactly he's coming from, which I know he likes to do. But at the same time, nothing's confusing. Like I'm not like, like you said, like there's no like crazy big words or like phrases that just like are over the top complicated just to be complicated he speaks very plainly and it but uses the, those plain words in very poetic ways yes um, yes so yeah definitely yeah yeah i think it's a great song i'll just jump in lyrically it's it is interesting i i kind of take away it seems like a conversation you would have with your parents or grandparents basically towards the end of life where you're trying to figure out um, maybe where they're going to live, maybe go. He mentions old folks home and it's kind of this like, Hey, a retirement home or even like, okay, will, or like, like talking about the end of someone's life, which again, talking about 
death a lot on this album. Um, it's just such an interesting start to the album because it actually feels pretty heavy and pretty deep right away. Um, but they do such a good job. I think on this album, you'll notice a lot of times happy lyrics with sad music and sad music um, with happy lyrics. Did I say the same thing? I said the same thing. I don't know. I just swapped it, but it's the exact same thing that I just said. But you get it. It's the vice versa. If you have happy lyrics, you have sad music. If you have sad lyrics, you have happy music. And this would be one of those instances for me where it's more happy music, but it's kind of heavy, heavy subject matter. It's such a good beginning to the album. Um, I'm noticing for Manchester, I actually think... So for some bands, I would say their ending track is like, like for me, Amberlynn, no matter what their closing track is, they're probably going to nail it. They write just some of the best ending tracks and you know they really, really think about their ending track. Manchester almost might be one of the best bands for an opening track. And I don't think about many bands in that way, which makes them stand out that that every album like, dude, that first track is just so good. Um so some of the musical elements, actually, really the main one is just Andy's voice. Andy's voice is up there with some of my favorite voices. He has such like a folksy voice. Like he should be singing in a folk band, I feel like. But one of my favorite things is using his voice, the reverb that they put on his voice with such creative melodies and over top music that I feel like I'm not used to hearing that type of a voice over top. Um, the I really love how the song kind of builds and how it changes halfway through the song. It really changes. Um, I would say Andy's voice in the bridge is probably my favorite section um, of the song as well, but I just love how he reaches kind of his higher range. So it's a really great start to the album. All right, let's move to track two. Track two is called Angel of Death. death um there's one um portion to be honest i i forget um i think it's the bridge um i'm just having a hard time placing where it is um but it's arguably some of my favorite manchester lyrics ever and i'm gonna just read the bridge basically just because sometimes it's annoying. I, it's hard to explain. I think sometimes um, being a like analyzer of something or being a critic of something or just like, again, like reviewing stuff, sometimes it is good to, I think, um, give commentary on things, give your thoughts, um, point out things you notice, blah, 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 expound on things. 
But also, I think sometimes it's not just expounding on things, but it's pointing at where to look. And not, I mean, obviously with Manchester, you can look like anywhere and you'll find like great stuff. But I feel like part of me right now, I just want to point to a section for y'all to look at or y'all to listen to and just let you soak it up, let you listen, let you interpret it um, in your own way. So I'll read it. And I won't try and be dramatic, but slowly we become a single mold, watching as my skin becomes your skin and starts to hold. I was told there's a wonder in the place our bodies go. Driving around the sins of both my lives will keep you cold. I deserve it. I've been stalling. I've been selfish. I've been wrong. Finally, I heard my name, the absolution called. Now I need it, now I crave the writing burned into the wall, sitting in your hands to watch the ending of it all. And I think like, especially those last four lines, so I really love all of it, they're almost like tombstone lyrics. I don't I don't know how to, not that like, I mean, I know people get a lot of tattoos with lyrics. I don't know if tombstone lyrics are a thing, but uh I think, like, they'd be great lyrics for a tombstone, just, like, really, like, being face-to-face with death and um, processing your entire life and almost being shown, like, all of who you are and um, just what that moment might be like. Um, if And some people aren't granted that moment, for sure, but just, like, I don't know, I think it's just a crazy... Um, beautifully well-written. I think, I think it's arguably some of his best lyrics ever. Um, but musically, uh, this song is incredible. What's most interesting to me, though, is the end of the song because it feels like you're like, all right, I'm heading into the outro. It's going to have like a refrain and it's going to like fade out or whatever. But then there's two whole verses... And then there's a refrain. It's like, it's almost like it's not a separate song because it really is kind of floating in the aftermath of the first part. But it really isn't. I think sometimes in those moments is a time to really just like quiet, like quiet yourself and get ready for the next track. They're not just giving you space to breathe They're He's like giving you stuff here. Um, and it's you can tell it's significant and important for the band, um, even though at, at first I was like, oh, it'll just be a simple outro or whatever. So I thought that was really interesting. I don't know many songs like that. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I agree with the whole idea of the length of the song and what they do at the end. I had that written in my notes. It is actually the longest track on the album. Um, by about half a minute, it's longer than the last track which has a lot and does a lot and has like what feels like extra in it. Like it's a, I would say standard closing track in the sense of, Oh, it's a beast. Like it's not just nothing. And they do their longest track as the second track right after the first track, which really feels like an opening track. So you finally settle in and you don't realize you're settling in for an almost six minute long song. Yeah, definitely. And it does feel like it should end a minute or two earlier than it does like that feels like the natural end so you're expecting like okay we're moving on to the next song um 
but they don't. And I love it. I think it's so cool. I don't know what it is about it, but I love it. Every time I'm expecting it to end and then it doesn't, maybe because it feels like it's bonus Manchester, <laughs> um, where I'm like, yeah, I get more. But, but I think it's so cool. Some of the elements I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about the production elements. The production on this album is maybe the best production they've ever had. And honestly, really like up there with some of the better production in general that I've heard. Um, everything feels so well mixed, so well balanced. And I think this song feels like one of the standouts for me from production because there's so much happening. Um, but every effect feels balanced really well. Uh, one of the things from a production standpoint you'll notice is the the transitions between songs. It feels like a continuous album. There are small breaks later in the album um, that you'll notice, but they're only breaks because they might like end a song more abruptly. And so they're trying to cut it there. They're not trying to put it together. But the album doesn't have that loose space at the end. It kind of goes track by track. Um, which I'll talk about at the end here, why I think that that's really important for the album, as long as I remember to talk about it. Um, but yeah, I think that's one of the first things you notice is inaudible into Angel of Death. You go, oh, that's a super smooth transition. And you're like, oh, I like that. And then they do the same thing from Angel of Death and the keel timing. And you're like, oh, this is like a thing. It's not just just a one one off because you're going from your first track and the second whatever um i think some of the the standouts as far as musically on this andy's voice and melodies they're really always a standout but but i really love them in angel of death um especially that high i don't know that high melody it's so cool it's so not andy and then the drum grooves, I really love the synths. And then they do layer some extra kind of textural elements in the track, and it all works really well. So uh, it's honestly one of my favorite uh, tracks on the album. All right, let's move on to track number three. Track number three is called Keel Time. This is a second single. It's uh, the first time I listened to it, I was kind of disappointed, to be honest. I felt like A Black Mile left so much room to just breathe and let the song kind of, a lot of the songs kind of wash over me. And this song almost felt like the antithesis of that. It felt like it was rushed. It felt flat. It felt like it didn't go anywhere. Um, and so I just kind of, I was somewhat disappointed. I didn't hate it, but I, I, it didn't really do anything for me. But after listening to the record, I grew to really, really love it. And you mentioned this earlier. I love the small transition between Angel of Death and Keel Timing. 
Um, I think that helps set it up well, and obviously the outro as well into Bedhead. And even though this song is consistent for the most part in the verses, one thing that's really cool is the chorus grows in intensity every single time. So there's three choruses, and each time it picks up and hits a little bit harder, packs a little bit more of a punch. And then the instrumental outro at the end, I love how big it gets, and then it just dies and transitions quickly into Bedhead. So it's definitely one of my favorite tracks, though I didn't like it at first. And some of that rushing, and I'm going to kind of talk about that a little bit more with Bedhead, because I think I can articulate it a little more clearly uh, there. Yeah, I think you mentioned the transition. The two most... Actually, the first four tracks, I would say, all have my favorite transitions. Yeah. Like, they just, like, one after the other. The songs also never really go down. Like, Inaudible would be the quietest, but it even builds into that. They're all pretty big um, songs, and Keel Timing's kind of right there where, where it's sandwiched between Angel of Death and Bedhead, which I would say feel like they're better tracks. They're also poppier tracks, uh, Keel timing is not near as poppy as Angel of Death and Bedhead are, um, and so I think it stands out in that way. It feels, uh, I don't know what, like it. The vocals pull you in right away. There's kind of those gang vocals that do like growing that like yeah that part. I love it in the verse. Um, that guitar in the intro is also just so cool. I love it. Um, I have no clue what the song or title are about. I did Google keel. The word is a nautical term for, it seems like direction, um, uh, is kind of what I loosely saw, but I didn't get too much, um, as far as what the song's about, but I actually, I really love the lyrics and I feel like they really create a great vibe, um, for the song again, without actually knowing specifically what he's talking about with this one. Um, my favorite part of the song is the melody of the O's and music of the chorus, like after the choruses and the ending instrumental. Those O's, which it, I don't even like calling them O's, just listen. Um, that part that he does vocally is yeah. so cool. They're kind of so like cool. shouts. They are. Yeah. They are. It's not. I feel like an O is usually like a hey, let's all sing this together, kind of a gang vocal thing, and I wouldn't say that that's the vibe he's going for. Though I bet at a concert, everybody's... (laughs) I know, I know. It will be a gang vocal type of feel, for sure. There's there's definitely a few parts of this album that maybe it's because I'm just craving live music again, but I'm like, oh, Manchester's going to crush that live. And Bedhead, actually, the next one we're going into, is one of those songs that I'm like, that might actually be the best for like a concert on on this. It's going to be so good. So let's, uh, let's move into it. Track number four is called Bedhead. So as I mentioned before with keel timing, 
I kind of felt similar to Bedhead as I did to Kill Timing when it first came out, though I definitely liked Bedhead a lot more. I just felt like both kind of rushed a bit. It feels... The song, as well as Kill Timing, and some of the other songs in the record, or at least aspects, feel very industrial for Manchester Orchestra. And I don't use that word a lot when we talk about music, Andrew, because not much we listen to, or at least that we talk about, has that type of industrial feel to it. Um, and the, the um, production that helps create that industrial feel definitely contrasts with the Black Mile. I think that's the biggest difference between the two records. I think the songs by themselves obviously have differences, but to be honest, like it feels very, these records feel very connected to me. Like I feel like a black mile and the million masks, both like they feel like brothers. They feel like siblings and like, Maybe that was intentional. Maybe it's unintentional. It's just where they were at. But um, the production is what provides that distinguishing factor for me. And the biggest part of the production for me, and you you might be able to talk about this a little bit more clearly and I'll be a little bit more helpful for our listeners. I feel like the way they recorded drums and the way they mixed drums feels so different than Black Mile. And it takes songs that make that feel like they could have been on Black Mile, feel like, oh, they wouldn't really fit. Um, so even like Annie or Obstacle, both of those songs by themselves, if you take out the drums, take out the production, or not take out the drums, but take out the way they recorded the drums and, and mixed them, they feel like, oh, those songs would have fit perfectly on a Black Mile, but they don't quite fit the way they would have because of the production. I think the drums are really pronounced, and they're really at the forefront of the mix. They're they're not hiding behind anything. I kind of went back and listened to parts of Black Mile a bit. And the drums, they're not in the background, but they're infused with the rest of the music. Everything, And I know the way they recorded helped create that, but everything feels so connected where the drums are much more in the forefront. Last point, sorry for... Um, rambling but I the, one of the reasons why I like the song better than Keel Timing when it came out and you're I know you're going to talk about this and you kind of um, forementioned it a little bit with talking about the show and the concert the reason why I liked it better than Keel Timing is the ending I mean it's just so explosive so dramatic so powerful Andy's vocals are like dismantling um and then even as I grew to listen to the song more and more, you realize, oh, wow, this chorus is wicked catchy. And then it's like the whole song grows on you. But, yeah, sorry for throwing that all that on your plate. But uh, That's fine. It, I, I think I am predictable in that sense, but I also think we've been doing the pod long enough. You knew half my notes are about the ending here. <laughs> <laughs> so, exactly. Um, the, I'll just jump in there. Um, the whole song kind of has this more straightforward beat i would say not saying that it's like not catchy or cool but it's kind of marching it's moving the whole time and right there at the end they go to this half time and it's just like 
it feels like they let the drummer kind of go off and do whatever he wanted within that. Like it feels really big. It feels live. Like I would say one of the things you wanted to talk about the drums. I fully agree. The drums almost feel like they're recorded. Um, and then just beefed up with every sound effect you can. They're really fat, really big, um, almost like drums would be live. They carry drums carry a lot more live usually than um, albums. I would say Manchester. I've mostly viewed as a vocal and guitar band. Those are my standouts for me with Manchester. Not that the guitars are not super prevalent in this album. I would say this is a drums and bass album. And if and, and sometimes a mixture of bass and sometimes synths. And one of the things that Bedhead, especially when it first came out, I was kind of in right away, but I recognized like this is super different for them. It was their reliance in the production on synths and keys. You didn't really. And again, I need to go back to Black Mile now with some of these thoughts and go, maybe I'm crazy, but like. I don't feel like they really had much of a reliance ever on synths or keys. There's so much more uh, piano work on this album in general, but especially this song, the synths almost overpower the guitars. Like it's like they're really big synths. And I would say that's a noticeable difference for Manchester. And when I first heard it, that was my first takeaway is like, oh, this is super different. Also, this song kind of forces Andy's voice up most of the time, which I think is where his sweet spot is. But he's also like, he's up there most of the time. So it's just, it's a huge song. I think, I mean, it has to be the biggest song on the album. There's other ones that can get that big, but this is like consistently that loud. Um, One of the things, and again, sometimes we know what Andy's talking about and sometimes we don't. And so I kind of have an idea that I actually am fairly certain is not what he meant, but I do have a takeaway. The song has the outro uh, kind of about the boy who cried wolf, which is revisited at the end of the album as well. Um, And I think I kind of know what he might be getting at with those portions there. But I kind of attribute this song feels like it's two people talking about their lives to each other. And I kind of took that ending, talking about the boy who cried wolf, kind of talking about sharing your stories open and honestly with people um, around us. That way there's some sort of, again, that that belief or, or something, but just honesty between two friends, between two people. Um, that's my takeaway from Bedhead. So um, I don't think that's actually what he meant with with uh with that but i'm also sure he's not upset with me getting that takeaway so all right let's move on to track number five track number five is called annie I definitely think of this song as a slow song when I'm just like thinking about the record. 
but it does have a bit of a crescendo and a build which really hits powerfully and then it dies right back down um, right before the last verse where Andy sings I've been trying to replicate the mask of God now I'm starting to feel it now the guilt's falling off and um, I saw this interview I didn't see an interview I read this interview um, I think it was Stereo Gum. I of the interviews I read, I probably read like five or six. That was the most helpful, the Stereo Gum interview. I thought it was the most in depth. Um, but I I found it really interesting him talking about him and Rob kind of having their own two separate meanings for the Mass of God idea, and how that was kind of what led them to love the idea was the fact that. It could be taken in different ways um, and that everybody could kind of have their own meaning to it. Um, and I just found both of their perspectives really interesting. So I'd go back and read that Stereo Gum um, interview if you'd like. Also, the song begins and ends really interestingly. Um, Andrew, I know you know what I'm talking about, but I don't know how to communicate that other than the fact that it kind of feels like it never settles or like falls into like the right groove or what I don't I don't know how to explain it. Do you, do you would you be able to clarify what I'm trying to articulate? Sure. Yeah, one of the things that I actually have written here, I feel like this song for me is a huge Thrice fan. Um to me this feels like a Thrice song the most. Um and one of the reasons being that intro especially which is kind of revisited later as well it's the guitars and drums how they're hitting they both they're both straightforward in what they're doing but they're not straightforward in the sense that they don't feel as like synced up as they should be in some ways they feel like they offset each other a little bit um so there is a part of it that like doesn't feel like you can just like sit and listen. It's almost like you have to be on edge listening to it because it doesn't quite feel like it's working, but it does. I mean, musically, it does work. It just feels unique. It's a it's a very interesting groove. And Thrice has done this type of groove before, which is why I bring them up. Um, Manchester makes it their own, so it is not just a Thrice ripoff. And I'm sure Thrice didn't even invent that idea but Thrice uses it a lot, which is why this song reminds me of them as well. Um, it really, the whole song, I love that feel. I love what it does. I do really love, there's some buried kind of piano parts and even background vocals in the track that I really think they add a bunch of awesome layers. So I also view this as quiet in my head and then every time I go back to it I'm like it's not actually a soft song yeah. it just feels soft I think after you go Angel of Death, Keel Timing and then especially Bedhead it almost feels like you've ramped up and all of a sudden you do come down but you're not it's not quiet and you notice it's not quiet when you get to track 6 which is where we're headed we are headed to the track Telepath Baby do you love Baby, do you love me? In my mind, 
supposed to travel. Might as well have been the last thing I decided. So, Telepath has no drums, I think. Um, right? From what you remember? I think so. Yeah. From I'm, what I remember now. I'm, I'm like, maybe there's drums somewhere, but I don't, I don't think there's any drums. And because of that, I think it's probably the song that fits the most on a Black Mile for me. Like, if I had to take one of these songs and, like, throw it on a Black Mile, it'd probably be this one where I think it could fit in pretty well. I think it's a beautiful love song. Um, in my interpretation of the lyrics, maybe I'm wrong. It feels pure. It feels heartfelt. And definitely one of my favorites on the record. What's also interesting, and we, we've touched on this, um, Dynamics. This is probably the least dynamic song on the record, and it still finds a way to grow at the end. And I think Manchester just can't stay where they're at. Like, <laughs> yep. they're just like, we got to go somewhere else. Um, even like another song. So like, if they do raise it up, they got to drop back. To, like, it's just like they they have a hard time just staying where they're at. And I mean, there's a time and a place. Like, that's one reason why, like, I love like peripheral vision by turnover because it stays in the same place basically the whole time and you can just rest in that groove and kind of go mindless and like enjoy the melodies within that but manchester their dynamics are so um integral to the identity of the band i think like there's no manchester without like just being a dynamic uh group yeah yeah, just so someone doesn't yell at us, I just went and listened quick. There is like a kick and a snare. It is okay. very buried. It is so bare bones. It is it, the drums are not integral to it. They just add a little texture. Um so yeah. in case someone wants to yell at us that hey, there's drums in the song. Yeah, there are, but like honestly the drums again, they're not near as important to this track. Uh, yeah. But I, I, I think it. yeah, I think to what you're saying though, like Maybe that's also part of Manchester. Maybe they can't write a song without <laughs> drums. That they're like, we need to have everyone in there somewhere. Um, they're they're not a band that is gonna have a low dynamic for too long. Like, but they're also not one that's just gonna like beat you in the face like with like really hard guitars all the time too. Even in a song like Bedhead, it has its really low moments, even though it's really big. Like. Their dynamics might be just one of the things they do best as a band. And so you do get low and high dynamics in the song. I just, I wrote a bunch of these songs and Telepath was the first one that, that I wrote the word just a beautiful track. It really is. Like you listen to it, you feel happy, you feel good about yourself. Um, it does feel more like a singer-songwriter uh, song than they usually uh, would have. Um I, I think it's just the simplicity of it that it feels that way. Um, so I don't remember them writing a track quite like Telepath before. And to be fair, they're really good at changing and evolving. But but I couldn't remember anything that I've listened to that I would say, oh, yeah, that's somewhat similar. It felt like it's its own thing. So um feels like a really beautiful song about love and commitment. And I think it's really cool. Well, one thing is, the more I'm thinking about it, I think... The fact that I did it, and it's not like, I just thought it didn't have drums because 
thinking back on the song, yeah. I was like, I don't really remember drums. And I didn't remember either. Yeah. It's not like we were like analyzing the song, couldn't hear drums. Uh, we're not that bad at <laughs> this. But um, going back and listening quickly, like Andrew and I both did, I think the reason why we didn't think that it had drums, thinking back on it, was because the way the drums are placed in the mix is just so different than the rest of the record. They're buried, they're quiet, they're subtle, and so you just don't hear them in the same way. They're not the focus like they're on other tracks. Yeah. yeah, for sure. All right, let's move to track number seven. Track number seven is called Let It Storm. I don't hold back my faith So, uh, looking at the track list before the record, uh, simply considering the titles of the track, like when I was only looking at the titles and thinking about them, the two tracks that I was most excited to listen to were this and what else do you think? Dinosaur? No. Okay, for me, it was Dinosaur. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was like, who writes a song called Dinosaur <laughs> when you're Manchester Orchestra? Maybe if you're like the Wiggles. Yeah. Like... Well, that's probably why I wasn't really looking forward to it. I was like, Dinosaur sounds like it's probably be kind of dumb for me. I mean, it depending, if you're looking at Let It Storm, were you thinking Angel of Death? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And both, I probably had the exact same expectations. In yes. terms of like aggressive, Big, powerful, yeah. um, gigantic, which tons of Manchester songs are. And I obviously, I expected the internet to be big as well. And I was really looking forward to that. But not because of the title, just because it was the last track. So that didn't really have anything to do with the title. So Angel of Death, to me, delivered in its own way, even though it was not what I was expecting fully. But Let It Storm didn't for me. And part of that definitely had to do with expectations. I was excited for a banger, something that would, like, blow my brains. And, like, instead I got kind of a slow burner. Um, But thinking about the song without the expectations i really do love the acoustic work especially in the intro i think it's very captivating um but what kind of is the low point for me is the melody in the chorus i don't like how he rises up um where he's like no 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 sorry sorry where he goes i don't want to hold back my faith anymore like that or and again it feels kind of flat to me it doesn't really like captivate me or grab me which is really rare for andy because i feel like all his stuff i gravitate towards but luckily i think for the song the instrumental after the second chorus that leads into the crazy bridge um i think that's just both the instrumental and the bridge itself are just phenomenal. So I I do like the song, but 
it's kind of disappointing for me compared to expectations, and it's probably my least favorite song. But what's interesting, this is the last thing I'll say. Andrew, you and I, for the most part, we like the same stuff, like musically. Like, that's why it's easy to do a podcast together, because if you like something, for the most part, I'll like it. If I like something, for the most part, you'll like it. But what's interesting is on a lot of the albums that we listen to, where I'll be like, oh, this is one of my least favorite songs, you'll be like, oh, that was one of my favorite songs. And for a lot of times when you'll be like, oh, that was one of my least favorite songs, I'll be like, oh, that was one of my favorite. Like, I feel like even though we like the same stuff, there's still a difference. So my expectations, honestly, even though I didn't like it, I'm expecting that you love this song. Am I right or no? So you are both right and wrong. For me, this is not one of my favorites, but it's definitely not my least favorite either. And my least favorite is actually really tricky, and I don't even really want to say what it is. It feels like nitpicky because of that. But for Let It Storm, I really like it. I do really like it. I think, so let me talk about some of the things that I do really like. Uh, Dynamics. This is, it is a slow burn um, more so than probably what you were expecting, but compared to Telepath, it really has some big moments. The verses in the chorus are so different. Um, I feel like they almost don't even sound like the same song. Um, the guitar solo you kind of reference is amazing. The piano work on the song, it's definitely the standout for me. Um, the bass is actually the thing that stuck out to me most when I listen on my speakers. The bass is like insanely good in this song, and I hadn't noticed it before when I was just listening off my iPhone. So, um, yeah, I think they do a great job layering it. Um, One of the things that this song does for me, and one of the reasons it stood out for me right away listening, is... Andy being very literal with his lyrics, actually. And I felt like this was the first track that I was like, okay, you're literally just telling me what you want me to get. And it is, he's making references to wanting to talk about his faith in music more. Uh, Andy's tended to talk about faith, but in a very kind of veiled, mysterious way. Um, Not very upfront, which I love, honestly. I really like how he talks about faith um, before this song is literally, I think his like desire and hope to like make that a bigger part of Manchester's lyrics. Now for me, I don't see that on the album. So it makes this song feel like it's one of the newest ones he's written. If that's the case. And that I'm just kind of curious to see what Andy's lyrics are like moving forward. If we notice a lot more of an emphasis on faith, That wouldn't have fit this album, I think, lyrically. This song does not fit the album for me. That's the only reason that it's not one of my favorites. It, I love it, I really do. But lyrically, it doesn't feel like it fits the theme of the album. So that that's kind of what I dislike enough that it wouldn't be one of my favorites. Does that make sense? Yeah. Cool. All right. Now we're moving on to the non-Wiggles written song. The Manchester Orchestra song called Dinosaur. Yeah, I do keep myself over 
So this song to me has a couple of interesting comparisons to The Wolf on a Black Mile, and I don't know if it's intentional or not. I probably doubt it. I just think it's happenstance. The first is that on a Black Mile, The Wolf just had this swag about it that I think like not a lot of the other songs had, which is fine. It just felt so cool. And I feel like Dinosaur has that same air about it, which is just so smooth, so cool. And both songs are also track eight. I know it's a reach. I have an even further reach, which I didn't even plan on saying. Both are named after animals. (laughs) 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 But um, anyways, yeah, I doubt that's really a connection. The big difference, though, about Dinosaur is how it explodes at the end like a freaking asteroid. Yeah. And uh, then, <laughs> as a quiet... It's a big bang. Yeah, just a boom. Shakalaka. And then as it quiets in the end, and Andy has that soft falsetto to end, um, where he sings over and over, ooh, it's like, ooh. Yeah, I'll talk a little bit more about his vocals later, but ooh. All right, terrific track. Oof, I agree. I freaking love this track. I, uh, so you're talking expectations. My expectation for Dinosaur was to be actually closer to what Annie, I think, is in like a, oh, there's some like weird timing. They're doing something weird. I expected it to be the song on the album that I'm like, it was weird, but like I liked it. It is weird, but not as weird as I probably expected. Now, all that being said, The guitars in the beginning bring me right back to kind of this early 2000s grunge rock sound, and it feels like instantly nostalgic. Um, Just the guitars, how they sound, it's like feels really old production-wise for those. Um, The verses are really minor, and it's actually kind of jarring that they then go into a more major chorus. Uh, so minor, I always would just describe if you don't know what that is, more sad or reflective sounding. And the major is more happy. Um, and so it just kind of that, that transition is jarring. I think the first time, uh, that I heard it, maybe even the second time I've grown to love that. I think it's such a cool change for that. And then the bridge might be one of my favorite musical moments on the entire album. Um, there's another interesting thing that that I saw lyrically, which is um, he he sings these lyrics. I will repeat the lyrics, and then I'll tell you why it's interesting. He goes, hold me now. I will not repeat myself. So hold me now. All I do is repeat myself over and over. Now, if that line about repeating himself seems familiar, it's because it's also from keel timing. So he literally takes a line talking about how he won't repeat himself, how all he does is repeat himself, and he repeats himself. It's just, like, the most meta... I mean, obviously, very intentional, but it still kind of makes me giggle a little bit that I'm like, you're just, like, trolling with us a little bit, Andy. Um, I love it. I think it's just a great track. I do see the similarity between Wolf. I don't think you're crazy. The swagger, this song stands out as like, you almost feel like they're like in the studio writing it and they're like, guys, like they all just kind of look at each other and they're like, is this, is this a jam? Yeah, this is a jam. Like you can almost feel that like 
this is a cool song that we wrote and you definitely get that feel with wolf the wolf um from from black mile all right let's move on to track nine track nine is called obstacle So those who listen to the podcast consistently know that usually uh, I'll focus more on the lyrics. Andrew will focus more on the music. Um, what's funny is obviously you focused on the music, Andrew. I feel like you've talked a lot more about the lyrics on this record than I have. Or maybe it's mm-hmm. been pretty even. I don't know. It's just more even yeah. than it normally is. Um, yeah. Which makes it feel like, <laughs> yeah, just because of the contrast. <laughs> yes. But I... I think part of the reason why I've kind of stayed away from the lyrics is just how, like, just how little I know. And, like, how even though we've um, listened to this record a lot by now, the album hasn't even been out a month yet. And so I'm interested to see, like, three or four years from now, or even 10 years from now, like where I fall in terms of not necessarily even what I think Andy's meant, but more what the lyrics mean to me or maybe guessing what Andy meant. Um, And real quick, I'll just say one of the reasons I'm addressing the lyrics is that I love to make a fool of myself. So I'm just (laughs) going for it. No, I don't mean that to criticize you. I think I think like I think for me, I was just like, I'm not even going to bother really. Almost. And I just applaud you for just being like, I don't know, but I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to go in. Yeah. Um, so obstacle is mentioned in an audible, no idea what the connection is. Maybe it was unintentional, but my guess is in, in, in audible, he was referencing this track or whatever this track was about or whatever. Um, the build up to the bridge is one of my favorite moments on the record. Um, what I love about the build up in the bridge is how I think some bridges, they take the song and then they shift it in a way where they go somewhere else. And this song does a really good job of, like, staying where it's at, but, like, emphasizing it. And, like, building in a way that it feels so natural and it doesn't feel at all out of place. It just feels like it perfectly fits. Um, And his vocals just are crazy. This song, for me overall, is a very straightforward song. And I would love to tell you that I wasn't surprised by the buildup in the bridge because I know Manchester and I know they're going to do something, but I was surprised. And even when I'm just listening casually, I still get surprised just because of how explosive and out of the blue it, it comes. So you made me think of something lyrically that I wasn't even going to touch on because I didn't actually piece it together till right now. So here's me just jumping out there and going to get it wrong, but Go I'm going to piece this together real quick. 
So I did read that Andy, I think, mentioned that this song was written about his son uh, when his son was born and that his son was the obstacle. And then he mentions in Inaudible, he mentions I'm your obstacle. And in that song, it's pretty, it seems like Andy's talking to an older person, probably his parents at that point. And so if obstacle is almost like interchangeable with the word son, it's then also it works for that song where he's like, I'm your obstacle talking to his parents. Mm-hmm. Like I'm your son. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know. It, it easily could be, that could be the, the, um, like simple version of it. I don't know that that's true, but I wasn't even going to mention lyrics for this. Cause even after seeing it was about his son, there was only a few lyrics that even made sense to me for that. So like, I feel like it's much bigger than just that. So, um, but yeah, that's what I pieced together real quick, and I'm going to have to think about that more myself. This song, though, it really reminds me of this kind of Tyson Matzenbacher type of song. It really sounds, um, I mean, they do such a good job with different songs on this album, which is why I mentioned a Thrice and a Tyson Matzenbacher, and, and you've been able to mention other artists. Like, it's just, it's really interesting seeing the layers that the album has. I love the melodies are super singable for this. I feel yeah. like this is one of those songs that I can sing more easily. It has really beautiful production as normal, but again, every instrument is just super well balanced. They really did just such a great job with this album, with putting the production all together. I think that's one of the standouts for me on the album. And then Andy's voice on the bridge as always happens in every song his voice is just perfect those are my thoughts for obstacle let's move on to track number 10 track number 10 is called way back Again, another slow burner that blossoms at the end. This song might be the most spiritual one on the record for me. And I don't even mean in terms of lyrics, but just in terms of like the experience of listening, if that makes any sense. I think it puts me in such a peaceful place and then kind of carries me on this journey um, with the ending. Um, When he sings, There Is Nothing To Hold... Andy kind of sounds like Sam Smith to me. Yeah. Do you, I can see do you that. hear that at all? Um, yeah. With that crazy falsetto he does. Um, Andy's just, again, we've, we've both kind of said this, uh, just one of my favorite vocalists. And uh, he could easily appease fans because I think Manchester has such a strong following in terms of like loyal supporters um i feel like he could appease fans just by doing the same stuff over and over but he doesn't and he continues to push himself and grow as a vocalist and if you haven't heard live um recordings of these songs go and listen it's not just the recordings that sound good i mean his voice is immaculate so yeah so yeah yeah 
He's definitely one of those guys that I would not put it past, and I don't know, and I'm sure this actually would be something I could research. He feels like he's a one-take dude, <laughs> where like he just walks in, and, and they're like, okay, they turn his mic on, he does one take, and they're like, that's good, you want to do some harmonies now. Like, like, <laughs> like even... Even just because that's actually how his voice is produced very often, you hear a good bit of reverb in it. It feels like he's just in this space, sings them, and he's done. Like, that's just the whole vibe that that he gives off. And he is, like, such a professional um, that I wouldn't put it past him uh, to be ready to go and just kind of nail it and and move on. So, Um, first time I heard this song, I wasn't really keeping track of where I was with the album, and I honestly thought this was going to be the closer. Um, Because it started in, I was like, it's really beautiful, it's really kind of the slow burn, Um, but I really felt like it was a good good place to end it. Now, that being said, how the song built, and then obviously also knowing what the internet is as far as a song goes, uh, for the closer, I'm glad it's not. But one of the things that's interesting to me, no matter what, when I hit this track, I go, the album's closing. Like, you feel that almost abrupt, like, we're bringing it to a to a close here. Um, and even though it doesn't close on this song, I think that that's just something that I always feel with this. Um, the falsetto that you mentioned, Andy's falsetto, makes me want more of it, especially that type of falsetto. I don't feel like he uses his falsetto enough. That was like my one thing I heard. I was like, damn, that's some good falsetto. And I really want him to utilize it more. Um, So hopefully in future music, he can use it more because he's got a very strong falsetto. One of the reasons you're mentioning Sam Smith there and one of the reasons that I can hear that is Sam Smith's falsetto is like iconically good. And so the fact that you can even like make that comparison means that Andy's got a freaking good falsetto and he should use it more. Uh, that's like my one takeaway. I think what's interesting for me is, and I, this is complicated. I'm just processing fully agree. Incredible falsetto would love to see it more. What's interesting is I can compare, even though it doesn't sound exactly like, I can compare his falsetto to Sam Smith. It sounds like somebody else. Can you compare his actual normal singing voice to anybody? The closest I ever get is like Marcus Mumford, and they're not even remotely close. Yeah, exactly. I just feel like he's in that style. That's always why I I feel like I would compare. But again, not remotely close. You are are correct. And so as much as I would like him to, like, flex that muscle a bit, I also, like, (laughs) I I just, like, I would hate it if he... I I don't know. I want a lot of his normal voice, too. Yes. Just because nobody's like him. And so it's this weird balance. But I thought it was an incredible falsetto. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Let's move to the actual closing track on this record. Track 11 called The Internet. So, 
for me, just from the outset, like making guesses about what songs would sound like, like I told you, I guessed what Let It Storm would be like and Angel of Death. This was the most predictable song on the record for me. Um, and that's not a negative. If you were to ask me how the last song would go, I would probably give you an extremely vague and general description of this song. Um, it is very much like The Silence, while also not at all like The Silence, but I definitely see similarities. Lyrically and musically, it has to be... Lyrically and musically, one of my favorite Manchester parts on the record, or even ever has to be the bridge um it's big it's aggressive it feels like a huge release which i think works perfectly in connecting the lyrics to from the record as a whole and especially the lyrics here in this bridge and i'm just going to read them quickly they repeat so i'll just read it once under the gun undone again uncloud my heart unsee the dead untie my mind unframe my mess, untrain my eyes, untame my head. I just think this is one of the best written portions. I think it fully encapsulates um, this feeling of release and this feeling of starting over and this feeling of clearing out the mess, clearing out the chaos, clearing out the fog, um, and just striving for starting over again in simplicity. Um yeah, and it's just so beautiful, and it's such a powerful moment on the record, and I love these lyrics so much. I also was going to talk about The Boy Who Cried Wolf, but you mentioned it with Bedhead. It only comes up on Bedhead on the internet. I think it's Andy's daughter, but I could be wrong. Um, I'm still trying to navigate why that's on here. Um I don't know. I'm sure it has some like really deep connection. Also, the daughter-father relationship, I'm sure, is very important. Um, but I have no idea, but it is cool. And I like how he enters back into the song um, for the final vocal part after she comes in and tells the end of the story. His voice there is just unbelievable. Yeah, it's a great closing track. It kind of starts as a slow burn a little bit. There's this consistency of the bass and the synths. But starting after the first chorus, you get some clean guitars. They kind of do these guitar scratches with a really solid spring reverb on it. The fuzz guitar solo after kind of overtop some clashing notes. They almost sound like diminished chords a little bit. Um, it's such a cool texture late in the song. And then the bridge explodes, then crescendos um, into this amazing... Uh, instrumental with these stacked vocals it's almost too much to take in like at one point there's just so much happening um and i think it begs you for another listen to kind of figure out what you just heard you assume the song ends after the bridge like that almost feels like it's just big but then it comes down and then the song continues with this interlude where they conclude talking about the boy who cried wolf um, reference, um, you already referenced Andy, and I agree, kind of his daughter, it just feels right, something like that. Uh, before Andy's soothing voice kind of brings the album to its actual close. So it kind of feels like it has like almost three endings um, to it, but all of them work together. It's so much to unpack and take in, 
and I love listening to this track more and more because I find more um, in uh, in the track every time. I did want to mention the song, How It Ends, it's a slower end to the song um, in general. The song feels like it finally gives you a place to breathe right at the end. The songs, like we mentioned, they transition one after the other. There's no real break. Uh, We have mentioned with our friend Kevin from Valley Heart in their first album, almost every song had a really long ending to let you kind of grapple with what had been said lyrically. I feel like because this tackles a lot of topics on it, but one of the main through lines seems to be death, um, which makes sense with what they were writing about and everything. It Then to finally have space to breathe, it feels like you're finally at this place of like, I don't know if that's the place of acceptance or if that's the place of finally going like, okay, now now what now what do i do it it almost feels like the whole album is the process of like walking with a loved one and then they die and then at the very end is like almost the first time that you can like think about the future if that makes any sense because you're so focused on like when you're listening to the album it's every song it's so much that you feel like you're taking in and then finally at the end it's over and you go, okay, I can breathe. Like I can figure out what, what's happening now. What did I just hear? What did I just go through? You can kind of grapple with those things. So I feel like what the song does is just so important for the album to finally give you that slight, uh, I don't know. The longer ending I feel like is perfect. Um, especially because of how tight the transitions are throughout the album. So I hope that made sense, but that's kind of my takeaway with it. All right. So we just talked about all 11 tracks on The Million Masks of God. There are many great songs. There's maybe some songs that uh, you or I don't like as much. But what we'd like to do now is talk about our favorite track. So is there one that stood out to each one of us? So Nate, how about you go first? What's your favorite track on this album? So... I have four favorites that I'm picking between. Obviously, I mean, I could pick more than just the four. But they're actually the four last tracks. <laughs> and so what kind of stood out to me, using my uh, deductive reasoning, is that <laughs> just like just how strong... I mean, this record ends. I mean, it obviously finishes, it starts strong and it is strong in the middle and strong at the end. But I think the best portion is the last third for me. Um, uh, I'm actually going to go with Way Back for now, fully acknowledging that it's probably going to change because it just changed to Way Back probably today. Um, But there's just something so peaceful and powerful about the song. I think it rides that line so well. Um, uh, It's just so beautiful, but it, yeah. Anyways, it it brought the most emotion out of me in terms of like how I uh, like felt during the song. And also I think like, um, 
a lot of these songs get you with the power. It's like the internet, dinosaur, bedhead, keel timing, angel of death. It's a song that kind of gets you with a different type of dynamic. So I think that stood out to me. But what about you, Andrew? What's your favorite song? I wish I had done the exercise that I thought about earlier today because when I was listening to this album um, and I heard way back, I was like, I feel like this is going to be Nate's favorite. And I almost wanted to then be like, hey, can we guess each other's favorite? (laughs) And it's funny because it wasn't actually as open and closed as I almost might have thought it was. I probably thought like, oh, yeah, that's what you'll pick. But like, I feel like not that it's not your favorite, but also you... You said you were picking between four different ones. Like yeah. there could have, you could have easily picked another one, and I would have been here like, oh shoot, it wasn't way back. So yeah. now that being said, did do you have any ones that you think stand out as my favorite? Before I say it, do you want to give it a well, shot? Well, part of the problem is it sounds like you were able to guess that before ahead of time. We talked. Yep. yep. So, I, mean, I had it is kind full- of unfair. It's fully unfair. Though I could totally be wrong still. Um, My guess is you're going with Bedhead. That's a good choice. I was actually between two. Sorry, 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 sorry. It's Dinosaur. That's what it is. Yeah, it's Dinosaur. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's Dinosaur. I uh, Angel of Death I had as my second favorite, actually, and then it would probably be bedhead one of the reasons it might not be bedhead is that i listened to that too much right away and so um it the this sounds mean the novelty wore off maybe would be what i would say with that one that like um i almost figured out everything i needed to about bedhead early but um but yeah dinosaur i freaking love that song i think it's so cool so um that to me, not that there's, I couldn't have picked other ones, but that one stood out as like I have to pick dinosaur. It's so good. Um, so, all right. And what's crazy is both songs we picked like weren't weren't any of the singles. Um, and I feel like they're like underrated enough that like those might actually never be songs that they ever play or talk about again. Do you know what I mean? Like they feel like they're like. Not the ones that that a record label would push to be like, oh yeah, like people are gonna love those songs. And I think what's cool about Manchester is there's a band that can write those really catchy songs, and then there are a band that writes really cool songs. That I mean, there's just gonna be variation in people's favorite tracks. So let us know your favorite track on this album. I am very curious to hear. I I they're one of those bands i'll bet you there's people that like every single track is their favorite track at some point so um so yeah tell us what your favorite track is you can also reach out to us on all of our socials on uh twitter and instagram we are at ldl pod and you can also email us at long distance listening at gmail.com let us know your thoughts on this pod check out all of our other podcasts as well you can subscribe uh that really helps the podcast as well so thank you guys for listening and have a great rest of your day